Awesome, uh, live and direct from Bristol with John Fletcher, Gavin Allenson. How are you guys? Yeah, very good. Excited to be on. Yeah, I'm good, mate. Looking forward to it. Let's go, Piers. Wow. I'm excited for two hours' time as well when the rugby kicks off. Yeah, no, be cool. I'm, uh, I'm definitely not enjoying the I'm Piers, your Suzanne analogy, Fletcher, if I want. <laughs> don't think I could. It'd definitely be in my top five. Uh, um, cool. Um, yeah, look, yeah, let's let's dive straight in then. Uh, Fletch, why, why do you think we got Gavin on the pod? Uh, there's a couple of reasons, really. Obviously, from a rugby point of view, let's. I'm curious around his rugby story, and uh, myself and you and you have set ourselves a challenge around some fat loss, much needed. Uh, and Gav's going to sort of talk through that as well. So let's get into it, Gav. Tell me your rugby journey. Uh, well, I was born in Australia, and when I was nine years old, my parents moved to Cardiff. And um, when we went, to, I was I played a lot of Aussie rules and stuff. Well, as much as you can do up to nine years old. Got to Cardiff. Obviously, no other option but about playing rugby. So that really got me into uh, the rugby side of things. Um, left Cardiff at eighteen. Went on a gap year. Played out in Australia in um, uh, Melbourne and a little bit of coastal rugby. Then went back to university and did four years at Bath University, um, 88 to 92, uh, which was uh, great fun. We had, um, it was when Bath were, it, well, I don't know, you may disagree, Rusty, it was when they were probably at their best. <laughs> um, and, you know, we had Gareth Chilcock coaching us and Dave Robson and Tom Hudson all involved with us, uh, coaching us there. So that was, that was great. Um, had another gap year, went out to Australia, played in Sydney, then came back and played a few years for Coventry in the championship. So this was about the time of it going professional. Then when it stopped, when it went so like professional, I was about 28 and uh, 1997, I stopped really playing rugby and didn't really even go to watch it or anything um, much uh, at all. Not fell out of love with it. I'd still watch the internationals, but I wouldn't watch any club rugby. And then when my son came along, uh, that changed things. Um, first of all, took him down to our local rugby club, Oxford Harlequins. Didn't choose the right time to take him because it was, I think it was like February and he was about five years old and it was freezing. Got totally put off. Um, but then he started when he was about um, eight. And then that got me into coaching. First year I stood on the sidelines, just did the cones for the, for the coaches. I didn't really want to get too involved unless I wanted to make sure that he was definitely into it. Um, and then from there, I started going on the coaching courses. Cool. And um, it's quite hard to stand on the sideline and watch. Especially when you've played, especially when you've played you know, quite, quite a good level or decent level, I suppose. Um, and, you know, no disrespect, most of the other, you know, dads coaching um, are, you know, just dads. Some of them haven't even played rugby before. Um, what was the stuff you noticed and there's all you do was so when you weren't coaching you're you're taking your laddies sort of sampling in a bit but that is good advice if you don't take young people when it's really cold they're obviously not going to find it that exciting or if it is cold then do something else just there's lots of other things you can do um, yeah exactly. yeah i mean what stuff did you notice what was your what, what were your first impressions of coaching i i, th I think back then i think you know you've got to make the sessions fun um and obviously and i think even now what i notice with beginning coaches and it's hard to remember back then is that 
they want everything to be structured and orderly and nice neat lines and all of that whereas you know you've got to have a bit of chaos and kids running around balls going everywhere you know that to me doesn't matter um but lots of coaches want to have the kids controlled in lines and you know passing down the line and you know when they're eight or nine they'll never string more than three or four passes you know two or three passes you know you know down the line before either somebody drops it or there's contact um or maybe a bit younger when they're seven or eight or nine they start doing that a little bit more but um yeah um you know, i think the thing they they were always making it fun which which was good but um just a little bit of um more of an overview of where they wanted the players to go um and you know what their journey is going to be and the skills that they're going to need later on rather than just focusing on what works now to win games or to perform it's having a view of what's going to what's going to be needed down the track yeah, I mean, my take on this is, uh, and I've actually just come up with this, Rusty, so um, I'm going to copyright it straight away. So um, maybe we shouldn't call it rugby on the kids. We should just call it playby. So it's a combination of play and rugby. I think mm. if we, we, we were to design a kid's playground, it wouldn't look much like sport. Uh, and I think we need to have that mindset as adults. How would we design a playground? Well, well let's just maybe have that mindset. And I definitely think there needs to be a real focus around play just play just playground type stuff so yeah yeah definitely and you know I was lucky to be uh influenced by Lynn Evans he did my level one coach uh coaching okay. course Wizard. yeah yeah exactly and you're know, amazing and he really opened my eyes to what coaching was all about um I'm lucky enough as well my partner is um a head teacher or she was a head teacher uh now she's a lecturer in education so she's used to be able to develop in uh, strategies for learning and uh, classroom type stuff so we often have a lot of conversations uh, about coaching. Can I just share some stuff I'm, I've noticed in the last couple of weeks uh, one is that as you were we're just watching our own kids so I was at uh, the side of a picture of the day with a parent who's taking his son to rugby for the first time and he's only watching his son so actually as coaches we've probably got to be more mindful of um, actually that structured stuff might mean that some people aren't getting many opportunities. Second thing that I've been thinking a lot about is your debut as a coach. So lots of players made their debuts and did 20 years and um, you know, lots of those ex-players get jobs and they need to think of it as their debut. Um, and one of the things I've noticed with some of the courses across other sports especially, and this is why I do think the hockey courses are, are, are ridiculously good, uh, so I spent two days on a hockey course and we spent an hour in the classroom because they were on the pitch, making sense of it in their world. So one of the other things I think about with the debut is that um, lots of courses you might go for two days or three days and you just get too much information as opposed to how am I going to apply this in my world? So mm. and the last one is they can definitely make passes because last night we had 27 passes and the goal was if every kid touches the So the try is worth however many passes there are. But if every kid touches it and you score, you get a million imaginary points and the grown-ups do 10 press-ups. And uh, it was like it was like the under-9s had won the World Cup. Um, so I, once again, and I, and, and I agree with, I think I'm agreeing with both of you, that um, we, we need to make it feel playful. But there's definitely some stuff we can do as coaches that will make them better. So we played Life of the Ball as well last night, Fletch, um, which you love. I was suggesting people draw hearts on all their balls 
um, <laughs> and just to keep the ball moving. As soon as the ball stops, the other team get it. And I mean, that would be Lynn Evans would be that would be fueling all Lynn's biases as well. Yeah, and well, the other thing that I picked up as well, which was uh, really good, was I've been to um, the Plaisir de Mouvement course in France uh, four times with Pierre Villepreux, and uh, that was amazing as well. Um, just an amazing experience. Um, and uh, just seeing how they're coached differently over there. And it's, it's always the ball in movement, looking for space. And he's always using a second, or, second ball all the time. If there's any bit of a blockage, instead of everybody waiting there for it to finish off, he gets another ball in to start playing. Anything else from that? I mean, he clearly gets, and I've, I've observed him a number of times, and... I'm fortunate enough to work with lots of coaches who spend a lot of time there. Lynn would also be one of them, you know, an absolute rock star of a coach. Um, um, so anything else, anything else that you'd want to share with the coaches who haven't? I, th- I, think, the other, I think the other really key thing that I like that uh, Pierre does is he introduces the ball in favourable situations for the attack. So he'll be moving forward with the ball uh, to give it to the players as they're actually moving forward, whereas normally you have line against line and you just give the ball to the attack and then they've got to try and generate some momentum from that. So that is a really good way to get um, the ball going. Often you'll, you'll condition the defence not to wrap the ball up in a tackle. They're allowed to grab hold, but they're not, to, not allowed to grab the ball. So that encourages uh, more movement as well. Just so on that, uh, what support does he give to the defence? I mean... Uh, yeah, what sort of, um, or what did you notice about how he was, <clears throat> how he's trying to make defenders more, more adaptable and better decision makers? Well, you know, often, um, often he'll have if there's a bit of a breakdown, like more defenders have got to go in, so that creates more of an overload for the defence, uh, more of an overload for the attack. So the defence obviously have to work harder, um, and it's always if you're if you're making it easier for the attack by by default, that makes it harder for the defence. So the defence have to work work hard to keep them out. Yeah, no, and, and I completely agree. Um, however, definitely stuff I've noticed and good feedback from Rusty to me a number of times is is around. Well, what support are we then given to the defence? I do think, and this is a this is something for all coaches to consider: is how much time are we actually spending uh, spending supporting the defence, and um, how good at making decisions or your defenders. Um, and it's definitely not, uh, yeah, it's just an observation. I mean, I've also seen, seen Pierre Vilpro a number of times, as, as I've said, and he has a big focus on the attack and his attack stuff is just sensational. Everything that you've said. Um, yeah. And the players in a relatively short period of time are producing stuff that, you know, they probably never thought they were capable of. Um, mm. However, it is a watch out. It is a watch out around how much are you supporting mm. other defence from a coach? I know something we've been talking about, Flex, so two things. One is um, I've been playing the FIFA game, so, uh, you know, get close, get in, get in the FIFA circle from a defensive point of view, get your feet close, get your head in a safe body position, shout out FIFA. If your team does three FIFAs, they get the ball back. Uh, but also the co-coaching, so I'm really mindful that I'm probably like you, I'm... I'm, I'm Pierre, I'm pretty biased towards, you know, I just love attack to look really nice. Um, and uh, I probably need to be more mindful of what I'm doing with the defence. And so, 
the co-coaching stuff. So every time I've been coaching recently, I've just, who wants to come and, you know, coach with me? And, that, you know, certainly one of those people will be in charge of defence and setting them challenges and supporting them. And definitely the other group would be in charge of uh, the people that need the most support. So as again, as we were chatting earlier, I said last night, um, one of the lads hadn't touched the ball in about the first five minutes. And so I could do the Pierre Vilpro second ball. I could get him involved. I could change the scoring system so that that kid had a different experience. Yeah, definitely. That's that's the great advantage, I think, of that second ball, is you can identify uh, children who have got less confidence. Um, and you can use your body as well to shield your body from them, get going so they can get two or three steps going forward before the, the, the defence can um, you know, move in on them. Yeah, I think that's good. And the second ball is getting a big shout out. Uh, uh, and however, it is a skill. It's a it's a it's a coaching tool. It's a. Um, I think people need to be a bit more intentional around it. I love the, you yeah. know, your sort of what you know is about real purse. So he would be really deliberate around how much how much go forward is he going to give the attack. I bet he's given that a lot of thought. Where he's passing the ball, what situation does he want to try and. So yeah, the second ball. I'm seeing lots of people now using second ball. But I'm, sometimes I'm just seeing the second ball just hoofed somewhere or thrown somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. There's no point just lobbing it in. You need to be thinking about what what it what it is you're trying to achieve with that second ball. Um, I just so just on your coaching, how would you describe yourself as a coach? Three words. Um, three words. Um, cool. That's hard. My, what I would describe myself and what my son would describe me as is probably a bit too different. <laughs> too bad. My, my son would say, um, I'm a bit too shouty. Um, he would say, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm quite forward thinking um, and, you know, want, want, want teams to play well rather than winning the result, getting the result. You know, that's more, particularly when you're coaching age group kids, I want them to be playing good looking rugby rather than focusing on winning. So I don't know what that would make, you know, mean as a one, one word. Um, but um, uh, I'm inclusive, I think, as a coach um, and uh, adaptable. I'm struggling now. And um, uh, I, I just want to play an open game. I just want to see the ball, you know, being moved around. I, you know, obviously I like X forward. I like some big shots going in, but I'd much rather see the ball being moved. Oh, nice. That's a good one. Um, give me some examples of being inclusive as a coach. What's the best stuff uh, that you're doing? Well, we just had, like, here's an example. We've just had a one guy come and join our under 16s who's never played rugby before. And um, we had a game the other day. We had um, you know, just a bare 15. So we had to get him on. It was like a local derby first game of the season. And uh, I think most coaches would probably just put him out on the wing to try and hide him. Um, but I, I put him in the forward so he'd get more of an experience. If he's out on the wing, he's probably not going to touch the ball all game or get some other big winger, uh, you know, charging at him. So I uh, put him in the forwards and he did really well, made some great tackles, you know, you know, made a couple of mistakes. But, you know, who doesn't make a couple of mistakes in a game? He dropped for next week because of the mistakes. <laughs> I've heard he'll be he'll be in there from the start. I've heard he had a big meeting with the coaches and he got dropped. What would your three words be, Fletch? Three words you would want people to describe, or three phrases. 
Um, fun would be one. People would come would when I'll be trying to generate some crack. Um, um, inclusive, so you know I'm pretty obsessive with with fairness. So if it's not inclusive, it would be fairness. And the third one would um, um, I wouldn't describe myself as um, people would describe me as crazy, but I I, I wouldn't. I would think that I'm creative. I try, I'm always trying to think. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, they would be mine. Go on, you you've asked a question because you want me to ask you. What's your three? I'm going fun. I'm going fun, fair, and creative. That's well, it has to be three F. So it's fun, fair, and what? Um, thinking. Think, yeah, uh, yeah, thinking with an A. I just wrote down because I thought you were going to ask me. Uh, would I want Rusty to coach my kids? I would want people to say yes. I would want it to be, yeah, really engaging. And I would say disruptive. No, okay. It's one three words, but I get your point. It's three, mate. It's like authentic and the kids, it's funny to do. It's disruptive. Nice. No, that's do, you, cool. do you really think your sessions are fun? Uh, I think certainly my intentions are, but I think that's a good nudge. Gav, what sort of um, what sort of stuff you're working on as a coach? What's the stuff that's occupying your time? I'm sure you've got a some form of some stuff that you know. Let's call it a development plan around yourself. So, what sort of stuff are you are you exploring? Yeah, um, I've been, as I said, I've been coaching my son up through the ages. So he's coming. Uh, he's under 16s at the moment, and. Um, I'm not sure what, what he's going to be doing uh, post-16 education-wise. So I'm looking at starting to coach uh, some, you know, older age groups and some, um, you know, men. Um, and I've worked in this season with uh, Oxford Brooks and Joe Winpenny. Uh, I'm going to be doing, you know, some skills work with them and just fitting in and just seeing how an older uh, like, you know, club type of uh, system operates. Um, and I'll probably do that for the next couple of years. Um, I'm also coaching some in-school stuff, which is at the, at the primary school my son went to. So when he first started, I went in to do a couple of lunchtime sessions uh, eight years ago, and I haven't left since. So um, I'm doing a couple of after-school sessions there. And that's always good because we're the only state school in Oxfordshire that will play any contact games. So we go to all these other tournaments with all the other private schools and you know, we nearly turned over Warwick School once, which was uh, which was really good. So, you know, it, it's quite, it's quite good fun seeing the boys. What stuff have you noticed about private schools? What's the stuff? What's what's the best stuff? What's some of the stuff you feel as though they can do better around? Yeah, just around uh, that environment. Yeah, I think it's some of the things we've just been talking about. Rather than just get rid of some of that structure, have more play and more free throwing uh, stuff. You know. You'll get, you'll be there, and they'll be lining up their lines of three or four, just passing the ball down the line. Whereas, you know, my boys are playing rugby netball and grabbing hold of each other, and you know, throwing the ball around and you know, having a laugh as a, you know, as part of their warm up. But you know, I think you know, there's, there's a good. It's, I think sometimes as well, if you go, like my boys playing academy rugby now, I think sometimes you can see some of the lads they're a little bit overcoached when they've been through like the you know the private school type of system they do exactly the right thing at the exactly the right time they don't go off piste and um, and try stuff which is a little bit more outlandish that's a bit of a generalization but i think that's you know that's my sense okay 
to Rusty, uh, what's your thoughts on, on what, 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 what do you guys think? Uh, I think uh, Joe Wimpenny has the smallest bath I've ever been in. There's a fact of the day. And his wife is an excellent cook. Um, aside from that, yeah, I mean, how often do coaches ask kids how they want pre-match to feel? So, you know, the Nick Boy balloons, the uh, Samoa dancing, the, you know, how the Crusaders behave. I, I'm not sure. I was actually at a, a, uh, doing a CPD the other day and I looked on the wall in the change room. There was like a, there was a match going on. It was like a twos. It was a real friendly game, but the, <clears throat> even the structure to the warm up, you know, T minus T minus sixty minutes. T minus, you know. I was thinking, wow, definitely, um, <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely a bit weird. So I, um, I definitely think that. Um, yeah, look, I think the private schools afford people the opportunity to get better and practice and. Um, that they would have lots of, you know, yeah, I just think there's lots of advantages. So I'm always excited. I've, I've coached in a lot of environments recently. There are some state school kids where I'm thinking, wow, you, you know, with a bit more support, a bit more of, of meeting the right person, then there could be some pretty magical stuff going on here. So I, I do think, it's, and, and, and clearly it's, you know, it, the schools are all different as well. So you, you know, you would go to environments, yeah. you would think, this is pretty cool, and some of them you would think this could be a little bit better. Yeah, it was. I think uh, what I th- oh, this, yeah, maybe the the guys who would do less coaching, so the academic staff possibly have maybe um, maybe the the coaching staff could better support them. So, um, and often the best coaches work with the best teams in private schools. Maybe they could mix it up. I know some do. I'm aware that uh, the stuff that Millfield are doing. As an example, um, but yeah, I think similar to you. I think somebody asked me the other day, "Look, Fletch, if there was just one thing, what would it be? What would it be your gift?" And my gift would be principles of play. I do think that is there's lots yeah. of there's lots of good stuff out there. I just feel as though principles of play was was more common um, by definition. I think players would be more skillful. I think coaches would would also be more skillful because of what principle of play is allows you as a player and a coach so 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 that would be it sometimes the more time you get together actually the less skillful the players get i think you need to be mindful of that um mm. so yeah so so just be mindful um i mean the, the reality however is at the top end of the game they don't know the principles of play um yeah yeah i mean there's a good point there. i don't hear that language a lot around all the all the teams all the players they would assume that they would need a bit more, you know, more actions, more, more terminology, more, more, more words, more stuff, really. Um, and and I do and I do get that. Um, however, I think principles of play need to be sort of the overarching um, because they're really, really helpful. Um, so yeah, it's a good point. I think we're skirting around it a bit, but anyway, let's move on. Just, mate. Um, about coaching. So last question for me in terms of your coaching journey. What's I mean, you've explained a little bit about what's next, but from a coaching skill or coaching craft point of view, you know, what's the one or two things that you'd want to be even better at? Uh, I think the main thing would be developing the relationships with the players and understanding the different uh, you know, types of players and being a bit, little bit more mindful of that rather than you know, a one-size-fits-all one size type of approach. I think that when 
you know, I'm moving in, if I was moving into coaching like an adult team and how to get the best out of those different personality types, really. What's your sledge? Um, core coaching. Core coaching. So, yeah, I think I can do it a lot better. Uh, often I take over. <laughs> often I'm just interfere too much. I'm, I'm probably not that aware of how the other coaches are thinking and feeling. I don't think we spend enough time as coaches having some good conversations about it. Generally, coaches aren't honest enough with, with each other, I think. Mm. Um, so core coaching is mine. That's the stuff that I think I need to get better. We just spoke this one on the phone about it, Rusty. I think we need to be, I think we need to support coaches. Lots of environments now have more than one coach. You know, lots of clubs and some schools I'm seeing are having three, four coaches. So how, how, how can we be more effective? Because if we're not careful, it's we're actually going to work against some of the stuff that we believe in. So if you believe in the card skills, especially on self-organizing and building awareness. If you're really clunky as a core coaching unit, you can be preventing all that sort of stuff. Because I think more, more, more adults is quite imposing for, especially for young people, but even grown-ups as well. Um, so yeah, core coaching. Do you want to know what mine is? Yeah, go on then. A weight loss. <laughs> yeah, let's let's <laughs> let's get into it. So uh, just to frame it, and and maybe it's in 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 memory of. So every year we used to go to Stellenbosch. We used to weigh in on the first day. Peter Walton would have eaten for four days in advance. He would put bags of sugar in his pockets. <laughs> We'd then wait at the end. Waltz would have lost 25% of his body weight and he would have won the competition. It was very challenging because Hudson's did a great burger and a great milkshake. Um, but we would, I would train two or three times a day, starve myself, you know, uh, sit out in the sun, hopefully it's going to make me lighter, trying to win that competition. And Peter Walton always won. So <clears throat> we both made the decision because of our lifestyles of driving around a lot, eating in service stations, uh, getting on a bit, uh, that we're going to think a little bit more about health. Um, so that's really why, I mean, we weren't that interested in Gavin's coaching, were we? Yeah, well, I wasn't. <laughs> Uh, so th this is, I mean, so uh, look, we've touched base, Gavin, and we're definitely going to do a World Cup. Uh, I don't know if it's weight loss, whether it's just being healthier with our eating and our habits. Um, do you want to set the scene or share some stuff? Um, oh, I'm, I'm, and, and before you answer that, Fletch, what are your fears? What are your fears? Uh, just before I go my fears, so um, I, l I love the, the fast, fat shred, so I was attracted by that, but it was actually the line underneath that. So the information you sent me was eat curry, drink beer, although I don't drink, uh, and, and get lean. <laughs> I'll be honest, that's what actually, that's, that's why I'm on this call. Um, I then obviously looked at the other stuff and um, I was pretty, pretty excited. What's my fears? Uh, my fears is lack of planning. Uh, I have quite good intentions, but like last night, I'm in the car, it's 11 o'clock. I, I skipped tea. I was actually quite hungry and I jumped into the service station and um Percy Pigs. Percy Pigs. <laughs> Scott checking the tube of Smarties. <laughs> <laughs> Which is classic play. Yeah, so partridge. I've, I've, I've actually had three curries in the last twenty-four hours, so <laughs> I'm well on the way to You're well on the way to losing. Shredded. Go on, mate. Yeah, Tell well, us all about it. Well the, the interesting thing is my my nutrition journey, you know, I've been working as like a sports nutritionist for the last ten years, got a bit of a rugby start to it because 
I first started working with a guy called Matt Lovell, who at the time was the England rugby nutritionist when they won the World Cup. So um, we've been, been around the rugby side of things on the, on the nutrition as well. Um, but yeah, I called it Fast Fat Shred, um, FFS, because, you know, like for fuck's sake, it shouldn't be that hard to lose weight. Yeah, but often we make it hard for ourselves. So um, that's why I had to come up with that term. And I think for our demographic in terms of rugby players, people who are working in the, in the city, whatever, or whatever jobs that we've got, there's always something that comes along that's going to uh, knock us off uh, the wagon, whether it be a meet-up with the boys, you know, a birthday party. And often we'll start a weight loss plan with the best of intentions, say January 1st. January the 8th comes along, it's somebody's birthday, and you have to go, you drink a load of beer, and that's it. You're off the wagon, throw, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, so I wanted to develop a program where you could have those, and I've called them overfeed days, where you could have a really big session. And I've done this myself when I've taken the boys on uh, rugby talk. Um, I've had like eight pints over the course of a day. Wow. Um, and, um, and three days run in and come back and I've dropped two kilos. Okay, so, so it can be done with a little bit of planning. Okay, um, so the, the, ma the major thing that we were gonna do, and I've, got, I've boiled it down to like five principles. So the first principle is to skip a meal. So if you skip a meal, then that is uh, going to reduce your overall calories for the day. Uh, so that's gonna obviously gonna make it easier. Now, the easiest meal usually to skip is breakfast. I've done it already. I've done it already. I'm winning. I'm winning. Did you skip breakfast, Fletch? Yeah, I haven't had breakfast yet, mate. I've just walked the dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, in, I, my view is, and I've, um, I've changed my thinking over the, the 10 years or so that I've been doing nutrition. It, you know, we've eaten, like you've had that scotch egg last night at 11 o'clock. Do you really need to be eating anything at 8 o'clock in the morning? Your glycogen stores are going to be filled up. You've got plenty of energy. You've got plenty of fat on your body to be able to. I've got more than more. Can you see that? On the, can you just see that just on the camera, going? Well, even Mo Farah's got enough to run, you know, like, you know, a couple of hundred, 500 miles or so, um, you know, you know, without needing to refuel. Um, so we, we don't need, we're, but we've been conditioned by industry to have cereals. You know, people didn't used to eat breakfast before, you know, eat breakfast like we eat breakfast now before Kellogg's came along. Um, you know, they'd get up, they'd go out to work for a few hours, then they'd come home and then they'd have something to eat. So, um, so skipping, skipping a meal is like the first uh, principle. So you can do that in the morning or you could do it last thing at night you so you could have your breakfast and lunch and not have an evening meal or you could just have um the morning morning feed so so, much, uh, so just on this so are you are you advocating two meals a day or two big meals um, we're going to talk about snacks i guess but so so two meals a day is uh, is it is is basically one of the if that's principle one yeah you can have well well this that comes into uh, like the third principle so there's like four real types of day that you can choose so it's making the planning what type of day you're going to have um, over the course of a week um, and a course of that day. Um, so just missing one meal, there's a ter sexy term for that. They call it intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding. Uh, you, might, you might see that, you know, uh, bandied around on the internet. 
So, um, yeah, but generally a normal sort of like fat loss day would be two, two bigger meals and maybe a snack in between those if you need one. Oh, okay. Okay. So the, the second principle, I call it the Steve Jobs principle, the former founder of Apple. And what he famously did was wear the same clothes every day. I can do um, that. I can do that. <laughs> You've got to do it with your meals, though. Right. So the idea is that 80% of the meals we have are pretty much standard. They're pretty much the same. Now, it, we had a little ch chat about this before, Rusty. If you're moving around a lot, then that might not be the case. But generally, we're creatures of habit. We have the same type of go-to meals that we have. So what we want to do is make sure that those 80% of those go-to meals are, you know, fit the bill in terms of health, uh, uh, nutrition, and they're not going to make you fat. So, you know, there's no point having pizza and chips as one of your, your Steve Jobs meals. What about um, Scotch Egg and Smarties? <laughs> Scotch, the Smarties, no, but the Scotch Egg wouldn't be the worst thing that you could have um, as a meal, in my view. Fletch, have you ever had Scotch Egg and Smarties before? Yeah, yeah, I have it a lot. I have it a lot. And I know we digress, but um, I actually eat the Smarties first because I, I prefer savoury. So, um, so the Smarties remind me of being a child. So I, everybody buys me Smarties at Christmas because I'm a big Smarties fan. Uh, so I, have, I actually have the, I have the sweet first and then I have the savory at the end because the savory is the bit I really, really enjoy. Anyway, crack on, mate. This is, that's, people don't want to listen to me. No, but it's interesting what you say there because often there's a, an emotional reason why we choose some of these foods. So you're choosing Smarties because of there's some emotional connection to when you were a kid. Uh, somebody gave them to you and made you feel good or, or whatever. Um, so we often take those habits and we keep them. Yeah. So sometimes we need to understand where we get those habits from and why we're doing some of the things, particularly if they're ones that we want to change. Like you might decide that you don't want to eat Smarties for as, as a go-to meal and just have them occasionally at Christmas. But you know, that, that's something to discuss um, another time. So, um, yeah, making sure and when, when I'm working with people and if people decide to uh, come along and join us uh, on this journey, we'll create a Facebook group and we'll um, do it for the World Cup for six weeks uh, where we smash it out. And, you know, after that, there'll be, if people listen to this in the future, uh, there'll be other things that we'll be able to um, signpost them towards. Um, so, um, so then the third principle is we have four types of day. So the first one of those uh, first types of day is pretty much a zero calorie day. So zero to 200 calories a day. So that's a fast day. So that's where the fast element of the fast fat shred comes in. So we're going to be doing some longer fasts. Now, um, for the last two and a half, three years, I've been doing a three day fast uh, once a month. Uh, where I pretty much just have those 200 calories a day or less. So that's water, electrolytes, tea, black coffee, um, black tea, obviously, um, uh, some bone broth occasionally, uh, and some other different supplements. So that's pretty much like a 200 calorie day. Now, for some people, they may think, blimey, I can never do that. Um, but it's a challenge. And the benefit of doing the challenge is um, if you go three days, 
you know that you're not actually it's not actual hunger that you're feeling it's more a psychological thing that you're you're, you're wanting to eat so 11 o'clock last night if if you'd been if you'd been had the experience of doing some longer fast where you've gone three days without food at 11 o'clock last night would have been a lot easier for you to say i don't really need this um i'll wait and i'll have something for breakfast in the morning yeah get it yeah, that's, uh, that's just point. hit me like a ton of bricks <laughs> what sorry what i say if i was to like have a like i actually i'll tell you uh, when i came home last night i stopped and had a, uh, a bounty bar and a boost at uh, the uh, memory services um, how much is in a bounty bar how many calories i like in a chocolate bar well I, I think there's about 180 to 200 calories in a chocolate bar. So now, the, the worst thing, about 180 to 200, I think. They're making them smaller over the years, so they're a lot smaller than when we were kids because yeah. uh, they, they want to bring the calorie levels down. Um, however, the, the, thing I'm, the thing I'm not so much of a fan on with those type of foods, um, and particularly like the higher carb ones, and if you're driving especially, is that's really going to boost your blood sugar levels. And then to bring your blood sugar levels back down, you have to have a load of insulin come be produced uh, to bring your, in, your blood sugar levels within a stable range. Now, often when that happens, that's when you get the carb coma and you start feeling tired and sleepy. You know, like a big Sunday lunch, you're nodding off in the chair at you know, half past three. That's not because of all the food that you've eaten, the amount of food you've eaten. It's more, uh, the, often it's the, the amount of carbs you've had and the insulin dump that comes with that. Here's, here's a quick question for you. Um, how many teaspoons of sugar are going round in our blood at any one point in time? Well, our whole blood system, eight points of it. How, how many teaspoons of sugar are dissolved in that? So you guess first, Fletch. 12. It's going to be more than that. I'm going for 40. Two. Oh, damn. So, so when you have a, a bounty bar and a boost together, um, <laughs> you've probably dumped about 12 teaspoons of sugar in your, into your bloodstream pretty quickly. So your body has to get rid of that. Yeah? It produces insulin to get rid of it. Now, if you've been exercising... Um, and done a lot of exercise, it's going to it's going to take that sugar and it's going to convert it into glycogen to restore uh, your, your your the glycogen in your muscles. Now, after that, anything that's left over that doesn't get converted into glycogen, what do you think happens to it? What's it get converted to? Fat. Fat. Yeah. 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 Wish I'd paid more attention in biology. <laughs> well, the, the the crazy thing is, I did a degree in biology back in the day. And I didn't, they never, this never taught to us. I never really understood any of this. It was only years after I'd finished that I, that I, you know, understood this and took the time to understand it. Can I ask a question, Gavin? So my question would be, um, so, you know, we talk a lot around coaching, around people having good awareness so they can make good decisions. So they can make d d decisions, but having awareness. Um, and a scale of one to seven, seven being um, lots of people know lots of stuff. How much, how much of this stuff that you're talking about and you're about to talk about around just health and some, how much do you think people are, are aware? So, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, if you took the whole population, probably one or two. 
you know one or two maximum there's so much more that they need to they need to understand even doctors doctors get this you know a lot wrong particularly the type 2 diabetes um, like epidemic so you know you can reverse type 2 diabetes you can reverse type 2 diabetes in 8 to 10 weeks just by cutting out carbs there's a few doctors that are onto this and are starting to promote it uh, but lots of GPS will, will still argue black as white that you can't reverse type 2 diabetes and why and do you think why do you and, uh, taking aside the diabetes why do you think it's a one or two I mean why is it not like six or seven <laughs> well the conspiracy theory um, part of me is saying a lot of it's driven by uh, industry um, by the food industry the, the drinks industry particularly like the soft drinks industry and then the drug industry as well you know there's no money in having people uh being healthy yeah you know it's uh, you know you might say okay well the hospital you know be cheaper for the hospitals but then there's no drug development i you know this is more like you know general general health yeah. um obviously we need things for viruses and um uh you know treatments for you know broken legs and all that type of stuff but a, a lot of the the illnesses that we see um, are, are driven by poor dietary choices. Okay. Well, um, just to go back to the principle three, because the principle three is a one that I think people might need more support. So apologies. Yeah. We're trying not to interrupt. So yeah, crack on with, so we've, okay, so so we've got so, the fast day. Yeah. So you've got the fast day. So we will program them into your weekly, um, you know, events. So, um, and you want, might want to stair step your way into it. So you're not going to, some people say, okay, right, three-day fast, I'm into it, I'm doing it straight away. Others will be like, uh, I'll dip my toe in the water, I'll just miss lunch, and then I'll just miss, miss lunch and afternoon meal. Um, and then, you know, and then, you know, then see if they can do 24 hours, then 36. Um, so that's the fast day. Then the, the second type of day would be a lean and green day where you'd have two meals, uh, and those meals are made up of lean uh, chicken or fish, so that's white like chicken breast or white fish and um lean greens so broccoli sprouts um asparagus whatever but with no fat so to get a thousand and you're aiming for about a thousand calories so you're eating a lot in those two in those two meals you know so a thousand calories of broccoli is is a load and um chicken breast isn't that calorific as well if you've got no no skin on it so that would be the second type of day. So you may have one or two of those um, a week, depending on your on your schedule, how aggressive you want to be with your fat loss. Okay, cool. So we got okay. we've got the fast okay. day, we've got the lean green, and then you've got a stand, then you've got your standard type of fat loss day. That's your normal day where you're having two meals and a snack. Uh, and for the average type of guy, you know, around our our sort of like weight, you know. 90 to you know 100 kilos 100 and a bit kilos uh you're looking around about 2,000 calories a day so that's where your steve jobs day comes in where you'd have 100 and a bit well done gavin 100 and a bit kilo <laughs> um where you'd have your two meals and um like and a, and a, and a snack if you need Mate, so roll off your best oh. five snacks what's your best five snacks um my best my my best snack is um berries with cream so that 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 that's that's one snack. 
yeah sounds you 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 buy it you buy it into it we do five um, i'll do five um uh, I'd, is... I'd have a um i'd have a boiled egg a couple of couple of boiled eggs um i'd have um a couple of bits of alumi uh, that would be good um some olives and some feta cheese would be another one so as you can see most of my snacks are high fat low carbs yeah i was thinking uh Team biscuits, <laughs> Pringles, good. Pringles and hummus. It's not good. <laughs> wow, this is, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling slightly overwhelmed, if I'm honest. Um, I guess I'm thinking, generally, I'm just thinking about like planning. So if I was to, you know, I'm, I'm definitely thinking, I mean, and I do know you can get some of this stuff in the service station. So that's going to make yeah. it easier. You can get boiled eggs in the service station, pretty yeah, much. Like one of them. Stuff and stuff as well. As well yeah, a little bit of spinach in the bottom that's all soggy yeah. and limp. <laughs> is that okay? Is that a good snack? Yeah, yeah, a couple of boiled eggs. Yeah, definitely. But you know, the other thing, the other thing, I, I, I'm hoping that some people will get if they join us with this, and this is what a lot of my clients get, is that you don't actually need to have that snack. Yeah, if there's nothing there appropriate, sack it off. Just. Uh, you know, and I'll, I'll tell some of my clients, look, pay at the pump. Don't go into the into the forecourt because it's, you know, sugar Armageddon in there. You've got to really hunt to find a little bit of, um, you know, protein or even the bill, a lot of the biltong and stuff is full of sugar. So you've got to be careful with that as well. You know, the biltong and the jerky, which might be a, a, a good snack. So you want to look at the labels on that. Okay, mate, look, I think we should get on to my favourite day. Shall we uh, talk about my favourite day now, please? Yeah. yeah. Okay. The, the yeah. So when when you do when you're control when you're keeping a low calorie diet, if you keep it too low for too long, your metabolism starts to slow down. So let's say, uh, and it's like an evolutionary process. You know, your body starts becoming more adaptive to the environment that it's in. So if at the moment you're getting by having say three thousand calories a day, and all of a sudden you start. Uh, going down, you drop it to 1500 calories a day, your body starts becoming more economical with those cal calories. So that's what they call your metabolism, your metabolism slowing. So what we want to try and do is we want to try and trick it. So even if we might be having a big calorie deficit, every now and then we have an overfeed day where we eat a load more than we are normally on our fat loss, uh, fat loss phase. Um, and then that helps reset your metabolism. Your body says to itself, oh, it's okay, we're not in a starvation, it's not a famine, um, there's, there's plenty of calories knocking around. Now, the key for those overfeed days is planning those in around uh, an event. So if you're going to a World, World Cup dinner or something like that, and you're gonna be having some drinks and a load of food, um, have that as your overfeed day. So look at, look at the events that you're going to be going to over the next six weeks or however long you're, you're following it. It might just be a week or two. And then work back from them. So you may, may have a fast um, day going into that. Going away on stag dues, um, I'd say, look, fast for, fast for 36, 48 hours before you go and then fast for 36 hours you know, when, when you've finished. Um, and that will balance out anything that goes, well, food-wise, that goes on the stag do. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, um, I wouldn't want to go two days without eating before a stag do. 
<laughs> but however, I'm not going in any stag do search for Why do you say that? Why would you not? You think, oh, you're going to be all of a sudden, you're going to be have one drink and you're going to be on the floor. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. No, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that because when you fast, this is a really interesting thing. Your body then starts breaking down fat. Yeah, and when it breaks down fat, it, it turns it into ketones as a source of fuel. And those and those ketones are a sharper, more clearer, more efficient form of energy for your brain. So oftentimes, what happens is you will feel sharper after 36 hours of not eating. Than you will do if you've, you know, you've, you know, you're feeling like you need a bit of a zip and you have, um, uh, you know, a chocolate bar because your energy levels are low. And that is one of the key things that, uh, that, that when people do this, it's like a real big learning point and it's a bit of a game changer. Um, that when they are in that, uh, that's so every Monday I start now, I, I don't eat on Monday. So Tuesday morning, like I'm on fire, my, you know, my brain's sharp, I'm, I'm fully active. Yeah, cool. I'm definitely so that's ketosis, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So and, that's, heard... and what we're trying to what we're trying to do is to get us as being able to better be able to access our fat and use that as a source of energy. Because generally, if we're eating Scotch eggs and Smarties all the time, we're never going to get near to tapping into that. Sorry, Fletch. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I'm still just disappointed in you, Fletch. I'm, I'm aware that there's lots of quite famous speakers and stuff who would do that before they have a kind of a big speech type thing. They would, they would starve and hopefully get into some ketosis stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just, just for the benefit of people who are listening now, so there's lots of information. Well, not lots, but there's some information to read, and it's and it's really useful. So, just in terms of so, in what order? What how how order, how can you order order your days? Is this a week thing? Do you do it over a month? as in terms of scheduling the four so you mentioned four days there's clearly seven days do you just go four days then then you, then you repeat then you repeat or can you can you do this in any order yeah you can do you can do it in any order obviously but you, you've got to not have um you know, four days in a row in a row <laughs> you know the, the most important thing is you, you're cutting down those overfeed days so you might have one every 10 days to two weeks, depending on how aggressive you want to be. Um, you, you probably want to have at least one of those in a, in a two week period. If it turns out that you've got to have more, um, then, you know, because I've, I've had guys who say, look, it's, it's hectic at work. We've got these big deals coming in We're you know, we're out three days running. I say, okay, well, if you're going out in the evening, don't have any breakfast, don't have any lunch, and then just go out and enjoy the evening. You'll be, you know, you'll be fine. Um, you might have your overfeed all in that one evening if you have, you know, a lot of food and um, uh, you know, quite a few beers. Okay, just so in terms of um, how, how do people get signed up? How can we get? How do we get going? Yeah, so um, if you go to fastfatshred dot um, dot com, and we're gonna um, we're gonna put this on social media. Rusty's yeah, yeah. social media. Yeah, I. I I, I, um, I might do one, I might do like a link that's fastfatshred.com forward slash rugby. Now, if you're watching this today, that won't be ready. That will be ready, um, you know, sometime on Saturday. I'll get that, I'll get that done. So fastfatshred.com forward slash rugby. 
um, or if you're watching it today, just just the fastfactshred.com. Um, and then from there, you'll get a um, a free um, like well, it's one page which actually just goes through all what we've talked about. Um, and then there's another like 15 page PDF where we go into a little bit more detail on some of these things. Um, we'll get you added into a Facebook group as well, where we'll be able to support and encourage each other uh, and ask some questions as well. Um, and then, you know, then we'll take it from there. And if people want to, you know, work more on a one-to-one -one basis with me, then, um, you know, they can reach out to me directly, um, you know, to help on that. But um, then, you know, that, that's, a, that's a case by case basis. Just to give it some, just to get people excited, how much do you think people can lose in terms of weight? Uh, I don't know if you want to go in terms of the actual, the weight yeah, or... We talk about weight, you know, a lot depends on where, on where your starting point is. Um, let's say it's, I think it's six weeks to the World Cup final from, uh, from where we are now. Um, the best guy I've had, um, he lost in 35 days, he lost 35 pounds. Now, he was massive to start with, yeah. He was, you know, he was really heavy. He was so like hundred. Let you could do that. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> he was, he was, um, he was one hundred and four. He was one hundred and forty-seven kilos. He's now down to one hundred and three. Um, but I think um, as a as an average, as a as a good amount to aim at, in six weeks, people would definitely be able to lose a stone, and they'd lose a stone in six weeks, fourteen pounds, six or seven kilos. Um, They'd lose a stone. They'd have a few, um, you know, four or five big blowouts in that time. Yeah. So they're not going to feel like. I think one of the things that that having these overfeed days is, if you're on a uh, a weight loss program, they don't really build in any of these blowouts. So you just the the the, the light at the end of the tunnel is just so far away. Uh, you can't see the wood for the trees, um, and you just think it's too long and it's not coming off fast enough. But if you know you're going to have an overfeed day, then psychologically you can get through to it because you know there's a rest coming in in a week's time. Awesome. Well, look. Well, we. I mean, we're going to reach out. I'm going to reach. Uh, we'll direct. <coughs> it, it's good feedback for you if me and Rusty are direct messaging you over the next 24 hours uh, yeah, no, no no keep direct messaging me over the next uh, the next six weeks i want to yeah. see photos of what you're eating as well so this is sort of the things we can do in the facebook group yeah how are we going to make it sticky because because i'm how are you feeling about this fletch uh yeah I'm, I'm pretty excited um i'm just trying to think ahead really i'm already thinking around schedule when my, when my overfeed day might be <laughs> might have to cancel the curry that's today <laughs> um, so yeah, look, I'm generally excited. Uh, what would work for me? It it being in a group, it being really playful. I definitely get your point. I'd want it to be competitive. Yeah. Um, however, I, I would want people supporting each other as well. I wouldn't want it to become, you know, sort of a shaming act, as in it's uh, no, no, of course not. Too no. competitive. But I think I think lots of people would want to go go with it, be playful, be part of a group. I do think it's about awareness. I mean, your one out of seven's blown my mind. Um, however, you spoke about lots of stuff that you know that I was struggling to understand. Really, um, I mean, I, I get the I get the basics and the framework, and reading your information has been really, really helpful. So, yeah, I'm 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 excited. Let's let's get some people into it. Um, I mean, pretty much every every Monday, I've set myself. Oh look, yeah, let's just try and be better. I'll try and do this, and by Wednesday night, I'm in a service station, don't <laughs> even park, having a having a steak bake. Um, I mean, that's the reality. 
yeah, yeah. We've all we've all done it. We've all done it. You know, you know. I only I only got this into this like later on in life. You know, like when I was about 30, 35, 36 or so. So the same so, age as me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, Rusty. So what is happening next? So you're the you're the king of sort of uh, what's next. I'm going to Google how many calories are in a banana. Um, <laughs> yeah, the food. I'm going to, so yeah, well, just basically, I mean, uh, I'm definitely, I'm like you, Fletcher. Maybe what would be useful would be that we meet the three of us anyway. We've got our little WhatsApp group and we can put it on the Facebook group. We share what we're going to do for the next week. So we actually look at it this week, plan what we're going to do and go, these are the days. And then we'll, we'll see lots of people on Magic Academy anyway. So they can support us, try and put us off, offer a Scotch eggs and Smarties and see if we bite. Who eats Scotch eggs and Smarties? It's blown my mind. Uh, and that's how I think it would be for me. If, if, if you said, oh, plan your first six weeks, uh-uh, it's not happening. Rusty, set yourself some challenges for the next three, four, five, six, seven days. Based on my schedule, then that would be much more manageable for me. Yeah, just do it, just do it week by week, even just day by day. You know, what, what, what have I got on tomorrow? Or what have I got on the next three days is a, is a good start, and these are things that we can chat about in a in a Facebook group and um, you know on a on threads and stuff in there. Cool. Well, look, I mean, a shout out for me if you're still listening to this um, or watching this is like, yeah, look, let's just get involved. Let's use the World Cup as an opportunity for for those people who feel as though they want to shed some fat um, going into the winter. Um, yeah, let's just get involved, and if nothing else, it'll. It'll be fun. Uh, we'll definitely build people's awareness around some decisions that they can make. I think that's key, really. Um, and yeah, let's let's just go for it. I'm 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 already right now. Saturday, Saturday's Saturday's just about finished. Chicken and chicken and broccoli. It is. <laughs> so <laughs> excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Sir. Jumping on the pod, Gav, and we'll uh, we'll keep regular updates. Fletcher's going to post a picture later on Twitter of him in his pants. Holy <laughs> uh, <laughs> Scotch egg! Uh, all and Scotch eggs will be on the phone asking for big sponsorship deals. I'm going to take a picture of Smarties and Scotch egg and put it on. Uh, and let's go quickly. Uh, weekends rugby games. What are you thinking, Fletch? Who's playing? What's uh, what's happening? Let's get. I'm going to get the fixtures up now. Uh, I can tell you what's happening today because I've set my so fairly soon uh, Russia against Japan. I've just been in touch with um, Mark Bennett, who's SNC guy, and uh, did some work in Russia. Uh, they feel as though they prepared well. Stuff that'll go against them is you know the players' domestic <clears throat> competition is not that strong. I think Japan will it'll it'll have too much ball movement. Um, lots of their players playing a competition. Can't win that. New Zealand, South Africa tomorrow. Uh, New Zealand actually by a score or over two scores. France, Argentina. Uh, oh, my massive tough call. Who knows? I'm going to go France. Australia, Fiji. Australia. Uh, Ireland, Scotland. Scotland. No chance. Italy, Italy, Namibia. Italy. Go on, Namibia. Uh, England, Tonga, uh, but imagine Tonga have a 50-point head start. Who wins? 
Uh, England win by 22 points. Oh, wow. Worth watching that one. Cool. Have an awesome day, guys. Um, enjoy not eating. Cheers, Cheers guys. See you, mate. Bye. Oh, well. Bye.